people will say, well, the computer made that decision, not understanding that like, no, a human said it historical data and didn't stop to think whether or not that data set was actually just equitable diverse you know inclusive you know all these all these things it's extremely dangerous welcome to the city age podcast i'm alon markovich and i'm here with anna stafford and that was alicia mclean executive director of the louisville future of work initiative powered by microsoft The Future of Work Initiative is a partnership between Microsoft and the Louisville Metro government focused on increasing economic opportunity and equity by making Louisville into a regional hub for artificial intelligence, IoT, and data science. Their goal is to give people who have been historically marginalized and excluded from the tech industry more opportunities to learn digital skills and secure employment in tech. If that's not enough, Alicia is also the founder of Technique, a nonprofit that uses research-based practices to introduce technology as a medium for community empowerment. She's also a doctoral candidate in the Department of Educational Leadership and Organizational Development from the University of Louisville, where her research centers around intersectionality and authentic leadership as it applies to increasing equity and inclusion in computer science. The Future of Work initiative is really interesting because it's braiding together economic and workforce development, tech innovation, and equity, all in a place-based strategy. The Future of Work initiative launched in 2019, and it's wrapping up now. But in that short time, the leaders of the initiative have made enhancements to school curriculums in the area, offered data analytics training for middle and high school educators, paid project-based learning and mentorship opportunities, and more. This is a really important conversation if you haven't really considered the impact that AI is going to have on people of color, especially. You're going to learn a lot from Alicia. She was really open and honest with us about her own experience, and we are so appreciative of her time and willingness to go there with us. Here is Anna's conversation with Alicia. So I'm wondering if you can start by telling us what the Future of Work initiative is, what role Microsoft plays, what role the region plays, and kind of what its core objective is. First of all, I just want to say thank you to you, Anna, for having me on the show. I really appreciate what it is that you're doing and that you found me and are excited to have me. That's really that's really cool. And so I'm, I'm really excited to be here. So the Future of Work is a partnership between Microsoft and the city of Louisville, that's for people who are from here, Louisville. For the rest of you folks out there, it may be Louisville, Kentucky. (laughs) Yes, I just discovered recently that I've been saying it wrong. I said it wrong on a podcast recording last season where I said Louisville. But since I'm Canadian, I feel like I'm going to give myself a break. We'll let you slide since you're from Canada. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. Um, No, no, no. Um, So from Louisville, Kentucky. So it's a partnership between Microsoft and the city of Louisville in Kentucky Uh, around advancing innovative technologies such as AI, IoT, basically all things data science. Now, the way it got started is based on a Brookings report um, around sort of the future of automation and how it will affect some cities in, in the United States, and in particular, Louisville was a city that was at high risk of losing jobs to automation because we have a high concentration of logistics, manufacturing, and healthcare uh, companies here. And so that was what spurred the future of work. It was very unique. There's no other partnership that is like what Microsoft committed to with Louisville. And so that was back in June of 2019 uh, when that partnership began. 
And now obviously we're in 2023 and we are now coming to the end uh, of that partnership. Tell us a bit about how Microsoft got involved. So Brookings and Microsoft already have a relationship. And so when the Brookings article was published, there was the relationship that was already there. They were looking for a city to pilot this in. And Louisville came up as a good city for that, specifically because, yes, we have high risk of losing jobs to automation. But apparently, upon analysis, Louisville actually does a lot of data sharing between its companies. There's a lot of open data that's available, and that made it an opportunity, a good opportunity, because they saw that there were good partnerships between some of the larger institutions and pieces of the ecosystem that would uh, support and sustain uh, a project or an initiative like the Future Work Initiative. Great. Can you tell us a bit about how it works? So kind of what the moving pieces are and and how you expand avenues towards data science careers and digital skill building? Sure. And that, I know you don't realize it, but it's actually a really loaded question. <laughs> I'll forgive you, Anna, but no, um, it's not loaded. It's a complex question. Mm-hmm. Um, so with an initiative, of course, we hit the ground running. And I will be clear, I was not uh, actually with the initiative when it first started in June of 2019. My predecessor, Ben Reno Weber, uh, was the initial uh, executive director um, and I came in uh, in February of 2020. But the idea initially was to, or the sort of the initial push was to sort of just get the word out there for people to be aware that we existed, that the future of work existed. And then also to do needs assessment of the different organizations, uh, different types of organizations in the ecosystem. So what does the education sector need? What does the manufacturing sector need? Um, what does the community need? Because this was a, an initiative that was framed from an equity framework. So everything that we're doing, we're trying to expand access and frame it with equity so that in this technological revolution, we don't actually have uh, people who are left behind uh, like we have in, had in other technological revolutions. So initially, it was sort of a needs assessment of an entire ecosystem, which, as you can imagine, is, you know, it's, it's incredible to, to take this on. Yeah. Um, but did a lot of events. Ben is fantastic. Ben Reno Weber is fantastic at these types of things. He's a very gregarious and connected person. And so he was able to sp- sort of spread the good word about what we were doing. Um, and that led to a big conference um, in February of 2020 called the Future of Work Summit. And we actually did this in partnership with the Workforce Board, which is called Kentuckiana Works here. And over a thousand people attended. Oh, wow. And that was really something interesting because a lot of times people think that middle America, well, they're, you know, I don't know, interested in agriculture, you know, but they don't necessarily think that there's going to be a high interest in data science. But we saw that this was actually something that was on a lot of people's minds and that people were very much interested in. I'm wondering, just since, you know, our show covers a variety of topics and there's probably people listening who aren't as familiar with this idea of place-based problem solving, which, as you mentioned, Brookings writes a lot about. Can you describe for 
our listeners the importance of place-based strategies and why you believe in that so earnestly? Um, So we actually just had a summit on February 2nd uh, called Placemaking and Data Science. And placemaking is typically a word that's used for or a term that's used for urban planning. Right. Um, And it's about creating spaces where people want to live, work, play, etc. And so I can't couldn't think of a better sort of term for what it is that we're trying to do. There are a lot of components that come along with being in a space and feeling like you belong there. Mm -hmm. Um, And that becomes extremely important because even if we close the digital divide, because there's an access issue as well, right? Folks don't have access to broadband. They don't have access to, um, to computers, to the hardware. But even with access to all of the hardware, broadband, software, everything, people, people from underrepresented groups are still not choosing data science and technology. And so that be- then becomes a place-based inquiry. We have to think about why does this not feel like a place for underrepresented groups? Why does this not feel like a place where people from underrepresented groups want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, of course, flips the, the urban planning component of it a little bit, but it's really the same premise. We want to create spaces where everyone feels welcome, and we don't have that currently in data science and technology. And so that becomes very, very important. And so in the context of the Future Work Initiative, and I can't uh, talk about our work without, of course, talking about sort of the reckoning that happened because of the murder of Breonna Taylor here in Louisville and the social, just the, the reckoning with injustice that happened across the country and across the world even. When that happened in 2020, it required us to think about how we could combine or how we could create an intersection between social justice and data science and workforce development. And so what we came up with was called the Butterfly Project. And the Butterfly Project was specifically focused around attracting underrepresented groups to the field of data science by using the research around what um, interests us, what creates a sense of belonging for us in this field. And the, in, the, the research shows us that it's its ability to move progress forward. Um, it's not just data science for spreadsheet's sake. <laughs> it's how can this move progress forward? How can this move our society forward? And so the Butterfly Project was specifically around learning data science for the purpose of supporting local grassroots nonprofits who probably don't have the budget to hire a data scientist or a data analyst. Um, but how could we find open source data sets, learn to analyze them, teach young people, young adults, emerging adults to analyze them in support of a nonprofit that was moving social justice forward? Um, and so that, again, goes back to that placemaking concept and the idea that if I'm working on progress and working on change, then I feel a connection. I feel a sense of place. I feel a sense of belonging. Um, with this field, because it matters now. It matters to me. 
Yeah, you know, I love the way you explained that because it's true, like the way we talk about AI and data and digitization in general, um, we talk about how that really is the future because it is and it's going to change all of our lives. And if we're not putting people who historically have been left out, out of economic development and economic prosperity and just inclusion in general, if we're not putting those people in positions to shape that future, I mean, what are we doing? I also wonder, for people who maybe don't know, can you tell us a bit about the way in which automation and AI um, are impacting people of color and women, and therefore women of color, especially um, maybe people who don't really know the impact that it's having on those groups in particular? Can you paint that picture a little bit? Yes, absolutely. And I think First of all, there's sort of this misnomer about it's a presentation of AI as somehow separate from humans. And there's a misunderstanding around this that I think is really important to clear up. Because if we don't, then there's this idea that, well, I mean, the computer generated that. I mean, we, you know, nobody has responsibility for that. Like it did it on its own. Mm -hmm. So I think first, folks need to understand how AI works. And so there's huge amounts of data. So we now live in a place where, so the, the idea of AI was thought of long ago, I think back in the 50s, but there wasn't the computational power or the amount of data necessary for it to actually, uh, actually be able to come to fruition. But now we have tremendous amounts of data and those data can, that data can take the form of spreadsheets. It can also take the form of images uh, of language, both spoken and written. I mean, we have a tremendous amount of data um, that exists. And then we also have the computational power that it's required to be able to implement uh, AI algorithms. But here's the thing. The model is trained on historical data. That is really important to understand. The model is making a decision based on the outputs and the decisions that were made with historical data. And so when we think about how people of color are affected, how women are affected, we have to think about very simply how women and people of color have been affected historically, because those same trends are going to be replicated. There's no new special thing um, if you simply put in the historical data and then get an output from it that is able to, you know, to make a decision. So if we think about the justice system uh, and its inequity around sentencing for people of color versus non-people of color uh, for the same crime, for the same, you know, history in the justice system. If we train an AI algorithm on this historical data and the decisions that have been made, we are simply going to repeat that. If we use facial recognition software and we don't, so if you think about all of the images that are available to us on the internet, the facial recognition software is being trained on those images. The problem is that there aren't a lot of images of dark-skinned people on the internet because we have always had an aesthetic that um, supported the notion of white European um, facial structure and hair color and hair texture being sort of the idea of of beauty and and exemplary. Um, And so you don't have a lot of pictures 
So what has happened and what has happened and currently continues to happen is that facial. So they think they've trained the algorithm because they've tested it on what they think is a diverse population. But what ends up happening is it's actually the amount of data that he has is not diverse enough. And so the outputs and the decisions made are not seeing someone. This becomes life or death, not seeing someone as a person. Right. Now, what's interesting, I think, when we think historically that Black people were not seen as a whole person becomes the same situation in current day and age where literally um, a self-driving automobile might not see this person as an actual human being. And that becomes a life or death situation, honestly, um, because at some, at some point, the autonomous the the autonomous system is going to have to make a decision. It has to choose between a mailbox and this thing that it's not sure what it is. What's it going to choose? You know, so it mm. it becomes. And I'm not saying th- 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 this is not dire. This is not awful. It makes the case for why there should be more diversity in this field. We think about black women maternal mortality rates that are that continue regardless of socioeconomic status that are on the level of developing countries as far as percentage of Black women who die yearly as a result of of trying to give birth. Um, Again, if we we will just continue to replicate that um, unless we actually are intentional around the output, but also who is at the table. You bring me to that table (laughs) as a Black woman, Mm -hmm. I'm going to make sure that, wait a minute, do we have enough test cases that involve Black women? Because I know as a mother that that was something that caused me incredible stress and anxiety, that even though I am not, even though I'm someone who does not come from a low socioeconomic status, I'm still susceptible to dying while giving birth. Mm-hmm. Serena Williams, I mean, good grief. Like if mm-hmm. Serena Williams almost dies giving birth mm-hmm. and has to tell the doctors, um, no, I, here's what you need to do <laughs> yeah. in order to save my life. Then we have a real reason and a real support for diversity being at the table, a real impetus and responsibility to increase the representation and decision-making power of diverse groups uh, at the table. And so that guides and has guided everything that we do. It is imperative then uh, to make sure that we have representation at the table. And, you know, with, with AI, it's not even a matter of just recreating what's currently happening in terms of racist decision making that's coming from people but it's a matter of like Mm -hmm. automating racist decision making Mm -hmm. so even just putting it putting us several steps back um to a place where you where it becomes harder and harder to even intervene on a human level with people who are acting with all these sorts of biases um it 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 runs the risk of making our situation far, far worse once we start automating these things because it doesn't even have the human touch. Yes, exactly. exactly. And that's the thing. And people will say, well, the computer, you know, made that decision, not understanding that like, no, a human (laughs) historical data and didn't stop to think whether or not that data set was actually just equitable, diverse, you know, inclusive, you know, all these 
all these things. It's extremely dangerous. Yes, I'm so glad you pointed that out. Yeah, I mean, as long as there's sort of humans at the wheel, there's always sort of hope and room for change that you can level with someone as a human. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, you know, I kind of hesitate to ask the question just because I have a feeling it might be a bit of a frustrating one. But for people who are out there who are white and maybe men. So just people who in general haven't really had the firsthand experience of being excluded from a certain field of work um, or from a certain domain. Can you paint the picture a bit more about, you know, the feeling that a lot of women and people of color and in particular women of color feel in those spaces, like what Mm. that experience is like? Can you just describe that a little bit more for people who maybe haven't had that experience? Um, it's scary. It's, we're never sure because, and I can only, of course, you know, we're not a monolith. Mm -hmm. I can only speak from my experience. From my perspective, it's scary because I'm not sure if you've got us, you being sort of the, yeah, (laughs) the big you, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Um, the proverbial <laughs> mm-hmm. you, it's, yeah, yeah. you know, everybody I talk to is pro everything I just said just now. <laughs> right. yeah. It's hard for me to, I just, it's, it's just, you're, it's like the feeling of, I'm sorry, I have to, I have to sort of think about this answer because I've never actually been asked that question. How would I describe the feeling to someone who's mm-hmm. not? It's scary. I mean, I think it's, you know, you know that this technology has the potential to be used against you as it has been historically, Mm -hmm. um, as really everything has been historically when you're not involved and included and you see the group that is. I'm not saying that 12 white men can't have a black woman's back. I'm just saying it makes me nervous, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, why would you think of me? Yeah. Why can't I be at that table? I have so many ideas and lived experience that could be valuable. Why are you not looking around and seeing that there is tremendous lack of representation at the table? I think that's the place we're trying to get to. Not that I have to come on a wonderful podcast, thanks for having me, <laughs> um, and talk about all of this, but that it would be talked about in that boardroom. Does right. that make sense? Like that it would be yeah. talked about whether I'm present or not. Regardless of who's there. Yes. And that it would yes. be seen as incredibly important regardless yeah. of who's listening or who's there. And I just, I, the problem is when you're not there, you just don't know. And then when you see mm-hmm. decisions that are made that come out of these places, these high places that are typically homogeneous in nature, you can tell that, yeah, nobody, <laughs> we were not at that table. Right. Yeah, it, it's clear. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's a nervous laugh. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, I don't, you know, it's, and, and you know, I, I tell you, I will, um, I will connect this to a question that you asked earlier about large tech companies, large companies Mm -hmm. like Microsoft, Mm -hmm. what can they learn from this? It's the same situation. What was interesting and what was phenomenal about our relationship with Microsoft was that we were trusted Mm. 
we were trusted that we brought important expertise about our community. And that is the same dynamic, I think, that we're looking for in these other spaces. I want to be trusted that as a Black woman, I bring incredible knowledge and experiences that are worthy of contributing to the larger conversation, Mm -hmm. the larger I'm also a PhD candidate, so I was going to say the scholarly conversation, but that we are valid sources of knowledge, not just about DE&I things, but about lots of things, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that is what made the success of the future of work. And I think that's what will herald the success of us really pushing to make change in the future of automation. Mm-hmm. No, I appreciate you. I know it's like a very hard question to answer, but I, I'm glad you walked through that because I do think that is sometimes lost in the conversation, especially now that people, you know, say DEI and say mm-hmm. diversity and say equity, and it kind of just rolls off the tongue and it's kind of mm-hmm. becoming a bit of a buzzword. Like, I think sometimes mm-hmm. it does get lost, like what we're really talking about and, and, and why it does matter. So I appreciate you taking the time to paint that picture. We didn't jump in as much to the chat GPT stuff, but we did talk about um, AI. Is there anything you want to add in, in that realm? Oh my God, absolutely. <laughs> okay, tell me. <laughs> I will keep it short. <laughs> chat GPT is a revolution. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It really is. As a person who's, you know, an education, you know, nerd, um, this is incredible. If you ask me, it is the change to the education system that we, I, I'm an education mm-hmm. futurist, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, I have been look. I thought it was COVID. It's probably a combination of things. COVID plus um, maybe uh, the social reckoning that happened plus chat GPT. I mean, we got to change, right? Like we have to think more innovatively mm-hmm. um, uh, about how we're educating young people because otherwise we're not preparing them for the jobs and careers of the future. And we're also not preparing them for the social, political innovations and change that could right. happen. Yeah. There's a way to use mm-hmm. ChatGPT so that your brain can be freed up to actually think about some solutions to some of the, some of the social issues that we have yeah. and not be bogged mm-hmm. down in mm-hmm. writing, you know, a paper about, well, I'm not going to get specific because I don't want to like teachers to get mad at me. <laughs> I've made it my mission to tell as many people as I know, make sure I'm giving workshops on how you can use ChatGPT, nonprofits, how you can use ChatGPT to write grants for you, you know, when you don't have money for a grant maker, it could very well, uh, in some ways, level the playing field. We'll go to our rapid fire now, and then I'll let you go because we've we've taken a lot of your time. What's the coolest thing that you have in your office? At this point, it's probably a caricature of my two kids. Oh, cute! Um, that is just adorable. I think it's just. It looks, they look amazing and always, it always makes me smile to look at it. Um, what is a buzzword that you would get rid of if you could? Oh, you really want me to be honest on this one? <laughs> Please, we can edit it out if you want. <laughs> um, probably equity. 
Yeah, you've had someone else do it. I don't necessarily want it to be eliminated, but I want to make sure that people actually actually understand what it means is equity. Um, yeah. I think it's something that everybody throws around, um, but I yeah. sometimes uh, looking at the organizations, they're equity focused. They say, as in they're to the community at large, focused on increasing equity, but then within their within their own organization. Are they really, are we, let's put myself in there. Are we really um, pushing ourselves to advance equity within our own spaces, within our own organization? Mm -hmm. Because that's what community is made up of. Mm -hmm. So please don't quote me that I want equity to go away as a word. (laughs) I just want us actually maybe to lean in more instead of just sort of throwing the word around like, oh yeah, we're an equity initiative um, to you know, really question ourselves. Are we, yeah. are we, are we, can we demonstrate that within our own organization? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, a great that's my, that, that's what I would say. Great. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Alicia. We really appreciate your time. And this was a really awesome conversation. And this has been phenomenal. These have been phenomenal questions. They really pushed me and made me think, and it has been an absolute pleasure being here. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Anna, for that interview. I thought you were, you got right into that one. I don't know, was that was that a particularly interesting or particularly surprising interview for you? Well, I love placemaking and like place-based strategies are really interesting to me. I had read the Brookings piece that Alicia references in the interview. Um, and I had also met Alicia before on an earlier project. So we had spoken before and I just think the the topic is really a blend of lots of different interesting things that um, I love to talk about. Well, it shows. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us next time on the City Age podcast, because after all, you can't build the future alone.